You are now listening to the First Baptist Church of America's podcast. If you have any questions about our church, please check us out online at fbcamericas.org. This week we are beginning our Advent series with the sermon entitled, The Peace That Jesus Offers from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Let's listen in. Amen. I'm thankful for all of our musicians and singers for not only what they do every single week, but especially at Christmas time. Could you imagine Christmas without music, without singing carols and hearing oh so familiar Christmas carols year after year as well as the new ones? So I'm thankful for all of them and what they do to make our Christmas celebration more special. You might know that our family spent Thanksgiving with our oldest son, Jonathan, in, in New York City. And while we were there, we did a lot of walking. That's what you do in New York. You walk to the subway, but you got to get there. So you do a lot of walking. And I must say that New York knows how to do Christmas. Everywhere you look, there are elaborate decorations in the store windows and amazing LED light displays that are synced with epic Christmas music as you're walking through Times Square. And you see it all around you, even garland and bows and bells and balls everywhere, even on the carriages in Central Park. So if you want to see and enjoy Christmas decorations, you'll see them in New York City. However, they're not any better than ours. Our committee has done a great job decorating our sanctuary. But I couldn't help but wonder as I was walking around And just looking at all of those decorations in New York, I wonder of all of the people who will enjoy those decorations, how many will get it? How many will really get it? How many of them know or even stop to think about what Christmas is really all about? You know, honestly, probably a similar percentage of the people in our city who walk around and see all the decorations, even in their own homes. How many really stop and think and and ponder what Jesus' birth really means and to thank God for it? I mean, Mary pondered what had happened to her. She pondered, she thought about it. And her life was filled with praise in response to that. How many of us get it? How many of us take the time to ponder the birth of Jesus? What is it really all about? Charlie Brown asked that question. You remember the Charlie Brown Christmas special? It's aired every year since 1965. I think it's still on now. I saw some advertisement for it. But in that story, if you'll remember, Charlie Brown finds himself feeling depressed. Even in all of the excitement of Christmas, he's depressed. So he goes to his counselor, Lucy. She puts up her stand and she advises Charlie Brown that he needs to get involved in some kind of Christmas project. Like directing a children's Christmas play. I'm not sure that was good advice. But he took it. And so he started directing this children's play. And in the process, he finds himself even more 
discouraged and more depressed because of what he sees as a commercialization of Christmas. He sees it all around him. And so the final straw is when Charlie Brown brings in this tiny sapling of a Christmas tree. You've all seen it. That tiny, wilting little Christmas tree. It's as famous as the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. And when all the friends see that tree, they laugh at it and they laugh at him. And then Charlie Brown has had enough. And he cries out, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Does anyone know? And Linus, the one with the blanket, he walks up. He says, I know. And he walks to the center stage. And he calls for lights to be dimmed. And the spotlight comes on Linus. And there Linus quotes our passage for today, Luke 2, 8 through 14. And then he walks back to Charlie Brown. He said, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That's what it's about. And at the end, they circle up and they are standing around the now decorated little Christmas tree and they sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The snow falls and everyone lives happily ever after. Well, Luke 2, 8 through 14 is probably one of the best known passages that we read at Christmas time. It is so well known. And in this passage, we're given the true meaning of Christmas. When Jesus was born, God was glorified in heaven and God's peace came to earth. Glory in heaven, peace on earth. It's right there in verse 14. Christmas celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ, which glorifies God in heaven because peace had come to earth. That's what the celebration was all about, about that peace had come to earth. So this morning I want to look at that passage and then I want to focus on the second part of that, the peace that came with Jesus' birth. In Luke 2, 1 through 7, we're given details about where Jesus was born and why he was born there. And then in verses 8 through 14, those verses tell us about heaven's response to his birth and why we should respond the same way. We see the response, and that's the response that you and I should have. So Jesus has just been born when an angel appeared to some shepherds who were out in a field outside of Bethlehem. Then the angel came with the glory of God. And he appeared to the, some shepherds there in that field. And, and in the glory of God, he's standing there. And for the first time in centuries, the glory of God had returned to earth. Think about it. For the first time in centuries, God's glory had returned. And verse 9 says the shepherds were terrified. Literally, that means they feared a great fear. They knew that they were experiencing something beyond the natural world. No one is left unaffected by God's glory. No one. These shepherds weren't either. So the angel reassured them and told them not to be afraid. Why? Verse 10, 
because he was there to give them good news. News that would cause great joy for everyone who accepted it. This good news was initially for the Jews, then ultimately for all people everywhere, including you and me. So what was this good news that would bring such joy? Verse 11 tells us, Today, in the town of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then the angel gave them a sign to look for in order to confirm this good news. Verse 12, You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, a baby in swaddling clothes would not have been unusual for that day, but a baby in a dirty feeding trough would be unusual. Even more than that would be unusual was the idea that God's Messiah would be in a dirty feed trough in Bethlehem of all places. God's Messiah? That was the sign. As soon as the good news was given, the sky then was opened to reveal an army of angels. They were all focused on God, giving Him praise, glory, and honor. Just imagine what, sight, what that sight must have been. The heavens opened to reveal angels praising God. They were focused upward. They were focused on God. Now, why did that announcement elicit such a cosmic response of praise? Because of the second part of verse 14. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So, let's look at what peace on earth really means. What it isn't what it is, and how to receive it. The peace that Jesus offers. First of all, what it isn't. The peace that the angel announced is not relational peace, although it leads to relational peace. So Jesus didn't come to bring national peace or political peace. He didn't come to bring peace between people who are at odds with each other. And Jesus didn't come to bring peace between feuding families or even among feuding families. If he did, then his peace effort failed. It didn't work if that's what he brought because wars have not ceased in the 2,000 years since he came. People are still at odds with each other and families still fight. So if that's the peace that Jesus brought, it didn't work. No, this peace is not a relational peace. Jesus himself made that clear when he said, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's Luke 12. So what, kind, what would cause this kind of division? Well, Jesus is revealing what happens when some believe in him and others do not. He's the dividing line between belief and unbelief. He's the dividing line between life and death. 
So even though the peace announced by the angels is not a relational peace, that doesn't mean that we should not pursue peace. Jeremiah said, seek the peace of the city. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And there are many other scriptures that teach us to seek peace. But peacemaking is a result of having the peace that Jesus offers. It's a result of it. Well, this peace is also not an inner peace in your soul. Although, it leads to inner peace in your soul. Now, you might be trying to find peace. And you're trying to find it by avoiding certain things in your life. Or maybe by doing certain things in your life. And you're, you're searching for peace. But whatever peace you find that way won't last. Because it's based on things that change. So your peace like that will not ask. You could ask, if Jesus came to bring peace, then why don't I have it? Why is there still so much anxiety and worry in my life? And the answers to those questions will be revealed by whether or not you're living in the peace that Jesus offers or the peace that the world offers. And there is a huge difference. And you know, I think there are some things, some practical things that we can do that would bring an inner sense of peace in our lives that may or may not have anything to do with being a Christian. For example, don't do things that you know are wrong. That's practical. Just don't do things that you know are wrong. Or be kind to other people. That's a practical thing. You can just be kind to other people and have peace. Or don't worry about things that you have no control over. Don't worry about things like that. For weeks before we took this trip to New York, I worried about things that never happened. I worried about getting into Atlanta and getting through security. I have never seen that place as empty as it was Wednesday morning before Thanksgiving. We walked in, and it was like we were going through a pre-check line to a pre-check line. Just went right in. But I'd worried about how many thousands of people would be in that security line. It never happened. I worried about getting to Jonathan's apartment on Thanksgiving Day when all the people were coming in for Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. We were going to get out, and I could just envision all of those thousands and thousands of people trying to get in. We were trying to get out. No problem. I had worried about something that never happened. I worried about flying out of New York City. No problem. We had to wait a little bit longer, but no problem. I even worried about somebody stealing my wallet. So I took a couple of credit cards out and I left them at home. I thought, if somebody steals my wallet, at least they won't have all of it. So I left two credit cards at home. I forgot where I put them. <laughs> so I left them here so that I wouldn't lose them in New York, but I lost them because I forgot where they put them. I didn't find the cards until Friday night. So how often do you worry about things that never happen? Now, there are attitudes that we can adjust and, and things that, we'll, that we can do to help us experience a more peaceful life, but that's not the peace that Jesus brought. 
So the peace that Jesus offers isn't relational peace between man and man, woman and woman, men and women. It isn't an inner peace. But it leads to that kind of peace. We become people who make peace. And people who experience peace if, if we have His peace. So that's what it's not. What is it? What is it? The commentators agree that the modern translations of the Bible interpret this verse better. Peace is not given to people of goodwill, nor is it given to all people. There is a stipulation attached to it. Look at it again. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The stipulation is that you will have his peace if God's favor is on you. Now, who is it that finds favor with God? Is it those who earn His favor by performance? No, that's what religion says. People on whom His favor rests are those who live by faith. And more specifically, those who live by faith in Jesus. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. So the peace that Jesus came to bring is peace with God. Not relational peace, not inner peace, but peace with God. Man can now be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And so the goodwill that we speak of is God's goodwill to mankind. It's His goodwill toward us. And that's why the birth of Jesus is so significant. That's why the angels burst out in praise to God because they saw what was happening. They knew that God was offering peace to lowly men and women like you and me. They saw it. I mentioned the Charlie Brown special that they ended with Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The next time you sing that carol, pay attention to the first verse especially. Because in that, there's a phrase that says, God and sinners reconcile. God and sinners reconcile. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the picture that Jesus gave us in the parable of the prodigal son. When the son went off and he came to his senses and he came back in repentance and he found peace with his father. That's the picture of Christmas, that we are at peace with God. The peace the, the, the angels proclaimed is not relational peace or inner peace. Both of those things, they are relative and they are subject to the behavior of people. They vary. It varies in degrees depending on your circumstances and the behavior of other people. But the peace with God is objective. It's not subject to degrees. That is, you have it or you don't. You don't gain more peace with God by being good. And you don't lose peace with God if you're not good. Jesus is the way to having peace with God. And then once you have his peace, you live a life exalting Jesus for giving you peace with God. And that's what leads to peace with yourself and peace with other people. 
understanding that, realizing that you are at peace with God and you're free to live at peace with other people and with yourself. So that's what it isn't, what it is, how to receive it. First of all, you have to admit that you need to be reconciled with God. You have to admit that. You have to admit that you are at odds with God because of your sinful nature. Remember the story of the prodigal son. He admitted his condition and he repented. He returned. So you have to admit that you need to be reconciled. Then secondly, you must believe that Jesus Christ is your only hope for having peace with God. Jesus alone, period. Jesus alone. He is your only hope for having peace with God. So when you hear the Christmas story, when you sing all the Christmas songs and you see all the decorations, you realize that you are a part of the story. Jesus came to save you. And you put yourself in that story. Jesus came for me. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And you say, he is my Savior. He is my Lord. You put yourself in the Christmas story. You admit that Jesus came to save you and he makes everything right between you and God. Only Jesus does that. And this peace that Jesus brought that he offers is available to all people. But not all people will receive it because of stubbornness, because of unbelief. But God offers the peace to anyone who will accept his son, Jesus, by faith. Charles Spurgeon, in his book of devotions, tells of a hospital in England that always had bread for hungry people. The bread was always available. If a person was hungry, all they had to do was stop at the hospital and ask for bread. So all they had to do was have the hunger and ask for the bread. There are many people who miss receiving the peace of God because they're not hungry for it, nor do they ask for it. One of the things that I noticed when we were in New York was uh, we were on top of Rockefeller Plaza, and there were probably half a dozen new skyscrapers that weren't there the last time we were there, six years ago. Half a dozen of them sticking way up above all the other buildings. It's amazing. One of those buildings is 432 Park Avenue. They don't call it 432 or 432. I guess it's more trendy to say 432 Park Avenue. But in that building, there is a condo, and that's it is the, the tallest residential building, I think, at this point in the world, there is a condo for sale for $82 million. And if you buy that, it will be a white box. To finish it would cost another $5 million. It's available right now. You can just get in touch with somebody and say, I would like that place. Now think about this. A room in heaven will make that place look like a manger or worse than that. Now, it may be possible that you could gain 
432 Park Avenue on the 95th floor. You could gain that. You might have a long-lost uncle who will leave you and write you a check that would cover all of the expense plus furnishing it. That's possible. It's not probable, but it's possible. You could win some kind of contest, and, and you might could gain this condo, but it is impossible. There's no possibility, no probability. It is impossible to gain heaven without Jesus to give you peace with God. Because the people in heaven are people who are at peace with God, no longer enemies of God. You are a friend of God because of your faith in Jesus Christ. So your room in heaven is much better than this filthy thing on Park Avenue. And you gain it by faith in the one who came that first Christmas night. If you're here this morning and you don't have peace with God, I pray that this Christmas season would be another reminder, another invitation for you to receive Jesus by faith, to admit you're hungry for Him and to ask God for Him. To say, Jesus, I accept you. If you do have peace with God, I pray that this Christmas season will remind you to live for God's glory. Just like the angels in heaven were praising Him because of that peace that came, then may this Christmas, may all of these decorations, may all the carols, everything that you see that is Christmas remind you that you are at peace with God. Now live a life that glorifies Him. And see, the degree to which you understand that is the degree to which you can say, all is well. All is well. If you understand that you are at peace with God, then that helps you accept the things that happen in this dirty world that are not pleasant. But all is well. Because all of this is temporary. That is eternal. And we have it because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this is your glorious word. It always reminds us of who you are and who we are and how we can come together. You have taken the initiative. Salvation is completely out of our hands because you came here to die for us. All we can do is accept it and believe it. I pray for those who have not believed. Lord, that you would lead them to believe. And for those of us who have believed, Lord, deepen our faith. And help us to live that life that glorifies you no matter, no matter what. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and if you would like to know more about how you can accept this peace that Jesus offers, we would love to help you with that. You can find our contact information in the show notes down below, or you can find it on our website at fpcamericas.org. And tune in next week as we continue our journey towards Christmas.